week's message was a Christmas carol, story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, some of us could easily identify with some parts of that story. And we learned that at Christmas, in the coming of Jesus, God speaks to our past, our present, and our future. God recalls our past, he confronts our present, and he gives hope to our future. And we ended last week with a short passage from Philippians 1. Let me read again from Philippians 1.6, where the Apostle Paul is talking to his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He said, I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we want you to know that if you're a Christian, God began something in you when you became a Christian. God began a good work in you. And God finishes what he begins. He needs our willingness. He needs our cooperation, our availability. But he will finish the job he has in store for you if you let him, if you let God work in your life. And sometimes what God wants to do is difficult. Sometimes it's a stretch, isn't it? Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not much fun or maybe it's not immediately gratifying for us. Sometimes doing what God wants to do uh, in us hurts. There's actually some pain involved in it. Sometimes it's unsettling. Sometimes it's unnerving. Sometimes what God wants to do in us requires more courage than we have ever exhibited before. And it's been fun for me to see people responding to God and doing things, being stretched in ways that they never imagined they would be stretched. We may even get to the point sometimes we feel kind of like Daniel in the lion's den. Why am I here? Or maybe Paul out in the Roman Colosseum. You know, why, why am I dealing with this now? And God is stretching us and moving us in a certain direction. I want you to be thinking about that this morning as we think of our second classic movie and some other classic passages of Scripture. And this movie is The Santa Claus. I want you to think about a time in your life, maybe when God was reshaping you, when God is, is pushing you, nudging you in a certain direction. And maybe that's now. Maybe there's some new thing that God is pushing on you right now, and, and, and you need to cooperate. You need to let him do that. Let him move into that part of your, of your life. I want you to look for a moment at this uh, discipling process. We started uh, talking about this this year, our four-chair discipling process where we're trying to help people move through the various chairs of discipleship. Chair one is just basically when they're seeking out God. Um, they are finding God in their life. And this is where most people are, uh, the majority of people. And at some point, as they are seeking God, hopefully they find him in Jesus Christ. And so between chair one and chair two is the cross of Christ, which represents a decision that they receive in faith the gift that God is offering them to Jesus Christ. They receive forgiveness. They receive for, uh, uh, salvation. Uh, they receive a relationship with God where God comes and, and inhabits them and dwells in them with the Holy Spirit. And, and so they're launched. This is, this is a tremendous thing that God is beginning. That's why I say God has begun a good work in you. Chair two is recognition of that decision. They've now become a follower. They've become a believer. They are following Jesus Christ. And chair three is when they begin moving on. And they start learning and start growing. And they're no longer just a follower, no longer just a receiver, 
But now they're able to give. They're able to work. They're able to serve. And they become the fishermen. And they're out trying to tell other people about Christ. They're trying to be, be a worker for God in the world. Chair 4 is, is kind of an ultimate thing that everyone should be arriving at at some point in their life where they are reaching back then to someone else and helping them to come along in the faith. And now they're bearing much fruit for God. Now they are disciple maker. If you remember when we first started talking about this, a lot of people get stuck at chair 2. You know, they make a decision for Christ, they believe in Christ, they receive the forgiveness, uh, they're anticipating their, their ultimate salvation, they'll be in heaven with God forever, but they just get comfortable in chair two. And so sometimes when people have taught this, they put four chairs on the stage, but the second chair is a recliner. <laughs> and people just say, oh boy, I like it here. Nothing's expected of me. I don't have to work. I don't have to talk about Jesus. I don't have to become a fisherman, you know, and go through the long hours, you know. You've got there fishing. You may not get any results at first. I don't have to go through any of that. I can just sit here comfortably in my recliner and just wait until Jesus comes. And that's not God's design. That's not God's desire. Discipleship is following Jesus. This is as simple as it could be. Discipling is following Jesus, and that's all it is. It's not just taking a series of classes or courses, you know, and, and you know, at the end of it, you check it off, well, I did that, you know, I went to that, I, I heard that, I learned that. It's about actually following Jesus. It's about humbling, submitting, and surrendering to the Spirit of God, which is inside us. It's putting ourselves out there, putting our lives on the line for Jesus, and following Him wherever He may go. And often, that's going to mean doing some things that are uncomfortable for us. That's why I was to think about today. What is uncomfortable? What is God moving us toward that we may be resisting because it's not fun, it's not exciting, and it's not easy? Our Christmas classic series today is going to look at the movie The Santa Claus, which stars Tim Allen. Scott Calvin has had Santa Claus land on his roof, if you've seen this movie, but when he yells up to him, Santa slips off the roof, falls down those two stories from his rooftop, and lands you know, in the yard right in front of his house. And he faints, or he's knocked out, or whatever. And so Scott's looking, you know, is he dead? You know, what's happened to Santa Claus? And the next thing you know, he disappears out of his suit. Just his suit is left there on the ground. But his little boy is around, and with his encouragement, he decides to try on Santa's suit. And... Uh, Next thing they know, they're at the North Pole. And uh, he's discovering, by putting on the suit, he's now the next Santa Claus. That's the Santa Claus. We're going to watch just a little bit of a clip here. And I want you to uh, give me just a moment to get things ready as they set it up on the DVD player. And I want you to note that right now they've just gone into this, the room where all the elves are preparing all the goodies, all the toys and everything. And uh, Bernard, the, the head elf, is going to speak to Scott Calvin and let him know what has happened. <laughs> okay, we'll stop it right there. I know you'd like to see the rest of the movie and all, but we're not going to do that. Why don't you imagine for a moment the shock that Scott must have felt when he found out that he's a new Santa Claus. This was not in his plans. This was not on his bucket list. <laughs> this is not what he had ever imagined doing with his life. 
He had never considered the idea, and so he's totally uncomfortable with the whole thing. And, and he, the idea literally had to grow on him. He grew out here, kept growing here, you know, and, it, and he'd shave it off and he'd come back. And it's, it's exciting to see what happens to this poor guy because we can imagine if we accept something we never dreamed of and what might have happened to us. Now, is there anything like this in the real Christmas story? Is there anything like this in this true Christmas story, the first Christmas, when God gave his announcement what he was going to do? Who had something like this happen to them also? Joseph, Mary, both of them suddenly are given news that they never imagined before. Can you imagine the shock that each of them had when they first heard what God was up to? Mary is suddenly confronted by the angel of God and he told her that she's going to have a child. Now, that's not possible? How, how is that? And Joseph is suddenly confronted by his fiancée's news that she's pregnant, even though she's still a virgin. It doesn't make any sense. And what they're being called into, called to do for God, is extreme. These things were not in their plans. They were not on their bucket list. They never considered these ideas before. And Joseph was especially uncomfortable with the idea at first. The idea of following God's special calling on their lives had to grow on them. And maybe it had to grow on us. Maybe it's still growing on us. So this morning, let's look at two of the main Christmas passages, one about Mary, one about Joseph. We'll look at them in the order that they occurred. So we're going to read, first of all, from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. This is the story of the, of the uh, angel appearing to Mary. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now the angel Gabriel appeared to this young virgin maiden in Nazareth of Galilee. She's a simple young girl living in a quiet, basically unimportant village. No way would she ever expect a messenger and an angel from God. She is pledged to be wed to a very good man named Joseph, a godly man in the direct line of David. Actually, they're both in the line of David. Was Joseph much older than her or the same age as her? People debate that. The Bible doesn't say. 
Were they teenagers as they got married, trying to figure out things together, figure out how to handle this together? That's kind of an interesting scenario. Maybe Joseph was an older man who had never married, and now a contract had, had been reached, and he's going to marry this younger woman of his own village. Bible doesn't say how old he was. It just says that Joseph was a godly man. He's a small-time carpenter in the same village that Mary's parents lived in. And this marriage was an arranged marriage. Now, we're not familiar with that. We don't experience that here in this country, although other countries still do this. Her parents and his parents, or maybe Joseph himself if he's older, struck up a deal. They basically signed a contract. And the Bible says that Mary was espoused to Joseph. And it was, it was an engagement. But it was much stronger engagement than when, when maybe a young couple today says, yeah, let's get married. And maybe he gives her a ring and they set a date and they're getting ready for a wedding like some of our young people here at the church are getting ready for now. The Bible says that in, in this uh, old arrangement, they considered them already married. The marriage had not marriage had not been consummated. They were not living together yet. They were not sleeping together yet. But everybody regarded them. This is set in stone now. This is set up. These two are going to be together for life. Gabriel's first words to Mary were, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. His sudden approach frightened her. And as usual, the angel had to very quickly say to the person that he confronted, You know, it's okay. Don't have to be afraid. You don't have a message for you from God. And then he gave her some very amazing news. He said four things. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will bear a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. And finally, your child is going to be great. In fact, he will be son of the Most High God. Now, I know it's difficult, but can you possibly put yourself in Mary's sandals this morning? Can you think of that? It takes a little bit of imagination, but can you imagine now you're Mary receiving suddenly, in the middle of your day, middle of common life, just everyday life, suddenly Gabriel appears. Can you imagine him saying to you what he has said to Mary? How would you respond? You know, would you respond, man, that's great, let's do this. Or would you be kind of stepping backwards? Uh, let me think about this for a minute. What would you say? Uh, couldn't you find somebody else to do this? Mary responded actually with a question. A question that showed that she believed what the angel had said. She asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's a fair question. The virgin birth had never happened before. Hasn't happened since. Happened one time. Notice that she did not say, how could this happen? She said, how will this happen? So she's Assuming, she's agreeing, this is going to happen, but how, how would this happen? How, how could this take place that I'm a virgin? How will it happen? The angel explained to Mary how she would become pregnant. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. God's power is going to overshadow you. The son born in you will be called the Son of God. And that's, that's really not an exact explanation, is it? Maybe Gabriel himself didn't know exactly how it was all going to work. Maybe he's just simply saying to her, you know, this is the best I can tell you. God's power is going to overshadow you. God is, is somehow going to make you with child so that the offspring will be God's son himself. And to her credit, 
Mary believed the angel. Mary accepted God's call upon her life as difficult and as strange, maybe even as far-fetched as it sounded to her. She accepted it. She said, that's God's call in my life. I will do that. In fact, she said these words, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me just as you said it would. Her response to God's call was amazing. One that we should all emulate. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me just as you have said it would. What about Joseph, Mary's fiancé? We flip over to Matthew chapter 1 to read Joseph's story of how he got this news. He first learns uh, from Mary that she's pregnant and he couldn't believe it. I imagine when she's telling him that she's pregnant, his head starts swimming. Can you imagine? We know that's happened to couples. And we know what a distressing news. It's, it may be happy news, but it's distressing. This is not part of our plan. This is How could this even happen? And he couldn't believe it. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph's initial thought when he found out that Mary was pregnant was to stop the marriage, to cancel the contract. She had obviously been unfaithful to him. I mean, that would be where his mind would jump, isn't it? He hadn't slept with her. How else she could, could she be pregnant? And so somebody must have. He's greatly disappointed. He's greatly disillusioned. But he doesn't want to disgrace her publicly because he still loves her. He still wants the very best for her. So he made plans in his own mind to divorce her quietly. A public announcement of Mary would have been greatly humiliating, embarrassing for both of them. It might have even led to her execution by stoning because that was the law of Moses. If she was found to be pregnant, then it would be adultery or fornication, and she was to be stoned for that. And while he was deciding what to do, the angel of God appeared to him in a dream and assured him that Mary was pregnant by the Spirit of God, not by any man. And Joseph was told to go ahead and marry her. So this is what he did, even though everyone in the village would probably assume the worst, even though everyone would probably assume that Joseph had gotten Mary pregnant, he knew well the shame and the embarrassment that would follow his decision, but at least they would bear the shame and embarrassment together. Just like Mary, Joseph was told what to name the baby. Quite significantly, God said his name 
was to be Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. The angel said, in fact, name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And at this point in his recording of this, Matthew interjects commentary, reference back to Isaiah's significant messianic prophecy that we read last week. Isaiah 7.14, given 700 years before, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And to his credit, Joseph immediately did what he was told to do. He accepted God's call upon his life. And he took Mary as his wife and provided safe haven for her during her pregnancy. And just so you know, it's kind of off to the side, Mary and Joseph had no intimacy as a married couple until after Jesus was born. The Bible makes that clear. She remained a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. Now, interestingly, some people try to say that Mary remained a virgin for life, that she was always a virgin till her dying day. But the Bible gives us the names of at least four of the children that she and Joseph had together later. And what do we appreciate then most about Mary and Joseph and how they responded to God's calling, God's Christmas invitation, if you will? First of all, that they were willing to risk everything, including what anyone else may think about them, just so that they could obey God. They said, okay, you said this, I will obey you, whatever risks are involved. Secondly, that they had amazing integrity. They had amazing strength of character. Even when others might be questioning their purity and their devotion to God, they stuck to the task that God had given. They stuck to the calling that God had placed upon their life. And thirdly, that they were willing to be stretched, willing to be stretched far beyond their comfort zones. Can you imagine how their lives were changed, how their lives were suddenly interrupted by God's news and God's calling on their life? Now, Joseph didn't get to see the rest of the story. He passed away sometime before Jesus began his earthly ministry at about 30 years of age. In fact, we think that maybe he had passed away sometime before that and Jesus had become kind of the, the, the man, the head of the household for some years before he left to fulfill his own calling and purpose. But Mary had a front row seat to it all, didn't she? She saw Jesus born. She saw uh, the adoration of, of the angels. She saw uh, the adoration of the, the magi or wise men that came sometime in those first two years. She saw Jesus growing in stature and in favor with God and man, as Luke tells us. And, and she pondered these things in her heart, Luke tells us also. She treasured this up. And she's watching, she's observing. When they went to the temple, when Jesus was only eight days old, and they're dedicating him, and they're naming him officially Simeon, who had been waiting there, waiting uh, and praying that God would show him the Messiah when he would come, recognizes Jesus as that Messiah. And after he says that, then he turns to Mary and says, you know what, a sword is going to pierce your own soul as you watch this child. And that was so true. 33 years later, she watched Jesus being led to Calvary's Hill and crucified. And she sat at his feet until he died, one of the most excruciating, violent forms of death known to man. During his lifetime, 
Jesus began gathering his disciples and doing his miracles and preaching and healing from village to village. And Mary's uh, and and Jesus' siblings thought for a time that Jesus had kind of kind of lost it. Remember, they went after him at least on one occasion, maybe twice, and they said, "You know, son, just come on home. Try to just come home. Stop this." And Jesus refused to stop. He even refused to acknowledge they were there. And she had to wrestle through this, not only being his protective mother, not only trying to save him for what she thought lied ahead, but to eventually become his follower too, to become his disciple. And she became a follower of Jesus and died believing more than ever that he was the Son of God who was going to save his people from their sins. Mary's calling was sure. Mary's calling was confident. She took uh, uh, God literally. And God took Mary safely through all these trials and, and stayed close to her. She ended up, even in the early church, showing herself there in Acts chapter 1. As Jesus ascends into heaven, and it says that they, they left there from the place where Jesus ascended into heaven, they went back and they began praying. And it said that a lot of other people there with them, including Mary, and Jesus' brothers. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in power and the church was launched, Mary and Jesus' believing brothers were there along as part of that 120. The calling. The calling. Calling is very simple. Calling is follow me. Follow me wherever I'm going, whatever I'm doing. You remember Jesus going to James and John, Peter and Andrew? They're fishermen. They're out there doing their thing as fishermen. And one day he approached them there on the shore of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And he just said, follow me. And they dropped their nets. And they followed him. They had no idea what that decision was going to mean, really. They didn't know how long it was going to last. All they knew is that they wanted to follow Jesus wherever he went. And that's really what we've decided if we became a follower of Christ. How did you feel when, when God first approached you and he said, follow me? You know, what were you thinking? What were you expecting? What were you anticipating? Did you have any idea what all it would involve? I don't think so. All you knew was that you wanted to follow Jesus. And that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life for you. How should we respond now when the task God calls us to seems so much greater than we are? How should we respond when the job that he puts before us requires more of us than we think we're able to give? How should we respond when his call makes us uncomfortable and stretches us, maybe stretches the very fabric of our souls? Well, God is stretching us. And God wants to move us beyond those comfort zones that hold us back so many times. Well, many of us have maybe seen pictures of an eagle's nest. And I, I, maybe you've seen it up on a high pole or up in a tree somewhere. Maybe in the crag of a, of a cliff. Few of us have ever gotten close enough to see exactly how that nest is built. I was interested to find out that when a mother nest builds her nest, she starts with things that you wouldn't expect to be there. Of course, branches would be there, but also sharp rocks and thorns and a number of other things that seem unsuitable for a nest. You know, you're not trying to do that, but she's building these really horrible things into her nest. And then she begins to line it with a thick padding of, of wool or feathers or fur from animals that she has killed. 
And she makes this nest very soft and comfortable where she could lay the eggs. And by the time these growing birds reach flying into the comfort of the nest and the luxury of the free meals, make them quite reluctant to leave. So what does mom do? She starts taking out all the padding. She starts pulling out the fur. She starts pulling out the wool or whatever else she's collected to make this a nice, comfortable place. And it starts, starts exposing the sticks and, and the stones and even the thorns that she built into the nest at the beginning. And as more and more of that bedding gets plucked out, the nest becomes more and more uncomfortable for her young eagles. And eventually they decide to leave that nest. They learn to fly. God wants us to fly. So sometimes he makes things uncomfortable for us. He calls us to things that would stretch us and cause us to do something we've never done before. Sometimes he's pushing and prodding us to do things like we've never done them before. And he calls us to go deeper and deeper into himself and deeper and deeper into his service. And maybe the task he calls us to is a job we never imagined doing before. And yet here we are doing it. Wow. Never tried this. I never said this. I've never been in this position. I've never been with this kind of person ministering to them. Maybe the job is a job no one else is willing to do, and yet we find ourselves doing this job that everyone else has resisted and avoided. Maybe it's a task that gets no appreciation or applause, and yet that's okay because we follow Jesus there, and that's what we said we would do. We would follow him. And so the question this morning is, you know, are we really listening to God? Are we willing to obey even when he's calling us to go somewhere that maybe we never imagined going? Wherever that calling may take us, are we listening and are we willing to obey? In the 11th century, King Henry III of, of Bavaria got really tired of being king. You know, every day there's a court, and there's decisions, and there's the pressures of being the absolute monarch of his country, and everybody's looking to him, and he just got fed up with the whole thing, and basically lost his way. You know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, I have to be the king, but I don't want to be the king. And so he went to a monastery where, where Prior Richard was, and he made application at this monastery to be accepted as a contemplative, so he could spend the rest of his life at the monastery. Not deciding what to do, but being told what to do. When Prior Richard interviewed him, he said, Your Majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is a pledge of obedience, absolute obedience? That may be hard for you because you've been the king. And Henry said, Yes, I understand. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. And then Prior Richard said, Well, then I'll tell you what to do. Go back to your throne." And serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. And so he did. When King Henry died, a statement was written, the king learned to rule by being obedient. God has called each of us to a task, to a job, to a ministry of some kind. And Christ expects us to be faithful wherever he puts us. We will learn to serve obedient. You may doubt it, you may question it, but God has a greater purpose for your life than you could ever dream of. God has a greater reason for you to live 
than you have ever imagined. It's not on your bucket list, but it's on His. Because He has something in mind for each one of us that is far beyond what we have ever imagined for ourselves. Preachers like to make a big deal about their calling. You know, I was called by God to preach when I was this age. And I have a calling like that. I first said it when I was five years old. I wrote it down when I was eight years old. That this is what God wants me to do with my life. But preachers are not the only people with a calling. Everyone in this room that is a Christian has a calling from God. Something that God wants them to do uniquely and specially suited to them. Something that their gifts and their passions and their talents and their mind and their interest and their, their physical abilities lend them to do with greater grace and greater power than anyone else could possibly do them. Every Christian has a calling. And how are we responding to that calling? You know, are we stuck in chair two? Or are we moving into chair three and eventually to chair four? One commentator said, there are times when God's doing God's will is not the easiest thing to do. There are times when doing His will is not the most convenient thing to do. However, doing His will is always the right thing to do. And maybe this morning you've rejected or pushed back some of God's prompting, some of God's pushing, some of God's prodding of something He wants you to be doing because it's not easy and it's not convenient. But you know in your heart that it is the right thing to do. We must come to a place where we lose our will to the will of God. And I look around this congregation and I see some people that are being stretched right now. I am so excited that, uh, I'll mention a few people, Caleb and Monica are being called by God to go back to Liberia and to do something amazing for him there. I don't know what that will be. None of us does. But God has something in mind there for them. And they're gearing up for that. Hope to go next November. I'm so excited for Prosper and Victoria that, that God wants them to do some work in Ghana. And they've already started doing it through other people. Eventually they'll be on the field there themselves. Maybe a few years from now. But they're working towards this calling that God has in their life. I'm so excited that Deepak and Amrita have showed up from Nepal. And they came to America because of God's calling. They don't even know what that will be exactly, but God has given an opportunity. God has brought them here, and somehow He linked them up with New Hope Christian Church in Manassas, Virginia, when they didn't even know what Virginia was when they came to America. What is that? What is going to happen in their life? I'm very curious. I'm very excited. But I see people in the congregation here too. And I see people in the musical even that are being stretched, that are doing, are doing things... Maybe it's a line. Maybe it's a bunch of lines. Maybe it's words that have never uh, uh, been able to memorize before and got up in front of people and done what they've done here. And I see people stretching by their service. Sometimes it's not up front. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. But they are stretching and, and, and getting out of that comfort zone so that they can be obedient to God. And God has chosen each one of us for whatever calling He has in mind for us. Do you know what the calling is? Are you pursuing that calling? Are you willing? Are you listening? What is demanded is each of us accept the calling God has placed on our life. So I just want to pray for you today that you will be able to 
joyfully embrace the calling, the plan that God has for you, whatever that may be. And if you need to talk about it, if you need to ask people to pray with you, I don't know what that is, then let's make that the first step. Let's figure it out what God is calling you to do. And then let's pursue that together. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your uh, word, for uh, the example of Mary and Joseph. Thank you for their, their willingness to do something they never dreamed would happen. Never, never be a part of that. And here they are. Here they are. The people raising the Son of God here on earth. Amazing story. And we sometimes lose that in all of the hype and all the commercialization of Christmas. Help us to get back to this simple, basic story and how they accepted their calling from you. And as we are simple people, as we live ordinary lives, you want to place a calling on each of our lives too, Lord. Help us to know what that calling is, to, to understand, have the willingness to obey, and to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I want to pray this now in Jesus' name for every one of my brothers and sisters here. Amen. Amen.